I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Here we go. Welcome back to the Understanding Jesus podcast. Woo! We are here. I'm here with Pastor Troy. Oh my goodness. It's such a beautiful day, Daniel. I we, hate to be inside if you're doing a podcast. I know. We could have done it outside, but then it would have probably sounded The wind kind of would have been there yeah. and, and so forth. And oh, so but on. it's so nice. Yes, yes. Another great week. This is such a great part of the Old Testament and New Testament, too. I love the Gospel of John. I love, uh, obviously, the stuff in the Old Testament. So we, we finish out, uh, I, I guess I... I'm going to do the summary. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Here comes yeah. the summary. Here comes the summary. Of what we read this week. Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? This week, we mentioned this last week in the podcast. Going to talk a little bit about it again, and that is the Gibeonites seeking justice. It's such a weird part uh-huh. of just roughness. Uh, and uh, and so we had a question about it, so we'll deal with it again. Uh, and also, David conducts a census, and it's really a bad thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh and Solomon is made king. Uh, all the all the drama that goes ahead with that. One of David's sons declares himself king, and mm-hmm. then it comes along. David says, "Nope, not that one. This one." <laughs> and uh, and so Bathsheba enters the picture again. Solomon's mom. And uh, and so then we have the death of David, and the tr- so the transfer of the kingdom takes place before David's death, and then we have the death of David, and uh, and then Joab gets executed. Finally, gets his just desserts. Uh, they build the temple. In this time Woo. of the reading, so if you that's that Solomon's temple is an amazing thing, big deal, and we actually it actually fits within one week of reading. That's what's crazy about it. It, took <laughs> it takes se- just about the whole week, yeah, seventeen <laughs> years or whatever it took. But it took a yeah, the, the, yeah. So the temple's built, and then we also get a little bit of a of a taste or a little highlight of the Queen of Sheba coming to visit Solomon, and. In the, uh, we go through Psalm 68, we go through the Proverbs 17, uh, with all kinds of little nuggets of wisdom. And then in John, we cover John chapter 8, which is the woman caught in adultery, a very famous story. We'll talk about that a little bit, because it's not in some of the original manuscripts, and uh, and how we deal with stuff like that. Um, there are, Jesus obviously says some amazing things, predicts his departure from the world, uh, and, uh, and then has this interplay with... Um, well, he just declares himself to be God, so it does not go over well with the people in his era. Uh, a blind man, um, uh, a man who's born blind, is healed, and uh, and it seems like he always does it on the Sabbath day just to infuriate people. <laughs> uh, and and then he tells us a little bit about the good shepherd, and then we get into John chapter eleven, which is where his friend Lazarus gets sick. He dies. Jesus goes. Spoiler alert, and raises him from the dead. Boom. Major moment, and in, in that. So we're all those things in this in last week's reading. So again, if you are just catching up, this would be a great week to jump in. Go to the website fbcj.us, look up the reading plan, and just plunge right in uh, to where we are in Second Samuel 21 through First uh, Kings. 10, and uh, and then also, like I said, Psalm 68, 69, and John 8 through 11, and we will 
we share some insight. Yeah, we'll get to do some discourse when we come back. Okay, we're back. We're going to jump into the reading for this week. Wow. I know that our listeners might be used to a certain format uh, where we kind of ping pong back and forth. We use that term ping pong very ping often. Ping pong, that's kind of our pending our yes. term. But we are eliminating the ping pong. We're eliminating the ping pong, and today it's all we're going to do. I'm going to talk about everything that I looked at, and Pastor Troy is then going to talk about everything he looked at. But first, uh, for those who are interested, our Facebook page um, we go live while we record this. Right. So if you're just listening to the podcast and don't know anything about our church or anything, you can find us, First Baptist Jackson, on Facebook. It's the one with the red bird. Um, <laughs> currently, we may yeah. change it in the yeah, future, right. but uh, First Baptist Church of it's Jackson, not a Missouri. It's, it's not a, a cardinal. It's, it's a, dove. a red dove. Yeah. Um, and you're welcome to find us. We do go live every week. And during the live, people write in some questions or comments and yeah. moments that they had. And one of them um, was a woman named Judy who goes to our church, and she said that she saw a really cool um, in a really cool video that compared the temple with the Garden of Eden. Mm. And and I've I a big portion of what I was going to talk about was around First Kings, like the early temple building. So I thought yeah. we might talk about that a little bit. Um, but just just all the similarities. I mean, have you noticed? Have you found that, Pastor yes, Troy, to be is a thing to be common? Yes. Yeah, it's very. There's a lot in the Old Testament, especially we call them um, design patterns, where right. you've got um, where you take the the creation story and it just pretty much is on repeat throughout right. history. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Jewish culture, Old Semitic culture was kind of in a cyclical history, a cyclical pattern anyway. So right. their literature will will for sure reflect that. But um, yeah, you've got you've got a um, this God's creation plan right. where he creates this this holy place and all kinds of um, little things. So if you want to go back and look in we're talking really first Kings one through ten right. um, in the creation of the temple. Um, great, it's an awesome observation, Judy. We're really, really glad that yeah, and, and, you sent that and, in. And goes on to the New Jerusalem, really, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the future. So for sure, um, it's it's what was, what is, and what shall be, come. what is to come. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll talk about that in a um, in a moment when I when I get there. But um, I want to, I guess my this is one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible. Um, the, the Bible is kind of like a peaks and valley thing in my mind. There are parts where it gets ramped up to a climax, and then a whole period of oh no, oh no, oh no, oh. And and this is this is one of those moments to me where we've been getting little tidbits. This is coming. This is coming. This is coming. God will dwell with His people in a new way. And um, David wanted it to be him real bad to build the temple, and God said nope. But I will give it to the one after you. I will let mm. that happen. So we've had all these little teasers in our mind leading up to it. And finally, the temple is built. And God gives permission. And um, he meets up with Solomon. Those of you who, who are doing the reading or may have just been in Sunday school for a while know the story. Um, he asked Solomon, what do you want? And yeah, I, I was with your father. I'm going to be with you. You've Solomon makes this grand gesture. He sacrifices like 6,000 animals at this place, and which is another topic we'll get to later. But he makes this grand gesture, and that night God visits him in a dream for the first time and says, okay, what do you want? And Solomon says, I want to be wise. And God says... Great choice. Great choice. Yeah, good answer. And for a moment, Solomon is 
is right. He's in a good place. And um, one of the things that is calls back to the Garden of Eden is God is has given Adam and Eve this promise that there will be someone to come who will right all the wrongs. You guys were supposed to rule in wisdom, and you chose to take it for yourself. You chose to take knowledge of good and evil instead of what I was going to give you. So there's going to be a man to come, and he will set everything right. And so all this time, the Jews are searching for this guy. Hmm. And um, there were there are a lot of things that looked like it might be David, but then David fell. And David died, and it wasn't him. His son comes, and his son ushers in God's kingdom on earth. He builds the temple. He asks, God gives him crazy wisdom, um, and the um, boundaries of Israel are expanded to the, I think, the greatest they ever were, as far as, as, far as I've seen. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's like, oh, maybe it's Solomon. Maybe it's Solomon. So he builds this temple, and God clearly blesses the whole effort. And God descends, the cloud fills the place. They offer a zillion animals on this enormous, lots of blood, blood, this huge golden altar. I I forget the dimensions, but it's enormous. Solomon gets up on top of it and and turns around to the people and addresses them and says, and just gives God so much glory. Mm. This is like it. All of and all of Israel's there. They're all and they're all screaming out praises to the Lord. It's like this moment that it's like a heaven like moment, like end of days. This could be it. This is what it's going to be like. Um, one man, um, who, who we now know to be Jesus, but at the time they were looking for a man to do exactly this. So um, he's he's almost he's like a little Christ. He's fulfilling the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve, and he um, and that's and then um, the Queen of Sheba comes on the scene, and you have now the man who was alone, ish, um, the man who was ruling. And this woman who comes, and she asks, "Where did you get all this?" Where right. she's she's asking questions, and he and you and by now we kind of know Solomon. He's got some issues. He's got some issues with women, yeah. and you see this other um, female coming, and you're like, "Oh, great, here we go." And he's he's gonna lose it all right here, but he doesn't. Yeah. They, in fact, he just gives glory to God, and she says, "Wow, okay, then I'm going to serve your God. This is amazing." So yeah. now we have a man and a woman ruling the world together in wisdom. This is yeah. fantastic. This is it. And then it's not. Uh, yeah. Solomon. Um, this is kind of my first first little point. Solomon gets all this wealth. God says he's going to give Solomon peace from his enemies, uh, wisdom, and wealth. And man, he he comes through with that. It says silver is not even valuable in Solomon's kingdom. Like it's yeah. it's it's like on the ground. Silver yeah. is and and they don't keep count of the bronze. They don't keep count of yeah. They didn't even tr- weigh everything that they used to build the <laughs> temple with because they're like we got a ton of it. Um, but so so Solomon does all this. But um, a little note in First Kings ten, uh, verse twenty eight says, also Solomon's import of horses. He had a ton of horses. Yeah, um, was from Egypt, and that's where there's that's a little that's a little note for yeah. um, you know how when you're watching a Marvel movie and or a Star Wars something that there's like a lot of build up to right. you know, a whole universe built into, and something happens and the true nerds know that's a problem. <laughs> a casual viewer may be like, okay, whatever, it's fine. I, I you know they they may see it and not worry about it, but the dedicated few know. Yeah. This is a problem. Um, and yes. when the text says that he 
um, imported horses from Egypt. Yeah. We have to... And, and married to a woman from Egypt. And married to yeah. a woman from... Well, yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. We go back to um, Deuteronomy, which we read several weeks ago. And in chapter 17, we usually just gloss over this. But in 17, verse 16, it says, Moreover, talking about Israel's kings, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. <laughs> Specifically. Oh, specifically. And you're reading that, and you're like, okay, well, who would do that? <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Solomon just jumps right into it. He goes and gets horses, and not only that, but he meets the, the first wife that's named in Egypt. Yeah. And what is what does Solomon's downfall come from? He comes from the gods of his wives. Right. So Solomon is doing so well, and then he just reaches again for his own. Like, this goes back to the garden. Adam and Eve were great. They were they had everything, and then they reached out and took for themselves. Mm. And Solomon reaches out and takes for himself wealth, which is not given. He was given so much, but he had to take the horses from Egypt. It was a specific yeah. little thing. He could have just not, but he meets his wife there, one of his wives, one of his first wives there. And then the very next chapter, this is actually next week's reading, but it's the very next chapter that we see oh, his wives are actually what drew him into worship of other gods. Oh, God wasn't pleased with him. Oh, and then, like, the whole thing crumbles after this. Yeah. And it took started with a little act of disobedience in yeah. pride, probably. Yeah, very um, familiar with that. Very familiar with that. Um, so, anyway, that's... Um, oh, and not only that, but Hadad, um, which is Solomon's chief, like, adversary, his mm-hmm. big uh, uh, villain against him, is also from Egypt. Right. Like Solomon makes all these relationships in Egypt, and that's what that's brings him down. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's it's like a it's the biggest moment for me in the Old Testament where Israel has hope that the Messiah has come. This is the man who will bring God's kingdom on earth and make right. rule the world, and and it wasn't it. He proves yeah. he proves to be insufficient. Yeah, um, so it's a big letdown. It's like watching um, Infinity War. And you yeah. think the heroes can't possibly lose in this case, but they do. And yet God doesn't uh, punish him uh, during his life. I mean, yeah. he um, he waits and says, I'm going to do it to your children. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is I don't crazy. know which I'd prefer. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out through your legacy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's my big thing. I, I really I have some thoughts on other um, ideas like the census thing, but I think you're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, you can talk about it. Uh, well, Go ahead, throw it in there, man, Daniel. Uh, well, I didn't write down my specific thoughts, but this is when David. So anyway, put a put a period on going back. Yeah, we gotta go backwards. Gotta go backwards to put a period on the Solomon thing. This is a huge moment for Israel, and Solomon was. This story is crazy. So go back and yeah. if you haven't read it, go back and read it. Going back to David's census bugs me a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not gonna lie. It bugs me with my feelings about David and about my feelings about God. Right. And uh, he, those of you who aren't familiar, he takes a census. All of his advisors tell you tell him, don't do this. And he doesn't listen to them. He does it anyway. And um, we're given in the text that this is something that clearly displeases God. Right. Because he counts for himself just to see how much he's accumulated. And that was a previous command. That God and military might also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. God had been faithful up till now to take care of them. Yeah. And so he does it. And um, is this? Am I confused? Is this the time when God gives him three options? Yes, it yeah. is the time. God yeah. gives him three options to say, "All right, I will either do, give you this discipline, this discipline, or this discipline, right. and you can have your pick." 
Yeah, I think it's um, adversaries, uh, so much time with the, of affliction of war, a mm-hmm. uh, time of a, a, a plague. Um, uh, I don't, I was reaching for the third one. Something happens uh, to him personally. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Something like that. But anyway, it was uh, the short one. But he said, I'm going to leave it in your hands, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And let you choose. Which is a good move. I mean, that was, yeah. that was a turning point. And so it was a plague. Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So, which was the brief one, which was the shortest lasting mm-hmm. one, but it, it killed a lot of people. Yeah. It's interesting that this, I don't see another time when God lets mankind choose their punishment. Mm. You know, choose their, I, I don't like punishment, choose their discipline. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It kind of, to me, there's this dynamic where we assume that all of our sin is a, just a direct result. I mean, directly mm-hmm. related to yeah. what we've done. But God here has multiple routes that he says, David, you get to choose. Yeah. And so that that bugs me a little bit, not in a way that, like, it bugs me only in that that's different. It's not yeah. in my little box for God, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's kind of it, until you unpack it quite a bit. The uh, it's kind of like when Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what is that about? And then you realize, oh, it's it's bigger than I realized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is the same way with David. We we have to infer that uh, that the, it is a very grievous thing because of the response of God. Yeah. And uh, it kind of alludes to what you were saying about Solomon. You know, with him going after the horses and so forth. Uh, this was David. This is the beginning of that mindset of I am beginning to put confidence in that which I have, rather than in just trusting the Lord to mm-hmm. give me victory, mm-hmm. and uh, and beginning to say I am I am I secure in my status uh, for uh, for victory and you know in, in battle and um, and that's and Joab even calls him on it and Joab wow he's a case anyway oh man but uh, the um, and so he calls him on it. So you'd think that that would be a big sign to David, but it was a it was kind of a beginning of the end for David. Uh, David is David is faltering toward the end part of his life. It really, for both David and Solomon, you're you're seeing that uh, that we think that we're these guys are so strong, but then at the end you realize they fall short. They they are not. Uh, they're not as strong as you think they are. They're 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 beaten down by uh, life and and all the stresses of the decisions they've made and so forth. And in the end, can't hold up. Um, and we we see that repeatedly in people's like Gideon. You know, back in the judges, we saw that with Gideon that he that he had this great moment and then he just doesn't finish well. Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, Moses again. Moses doesn't finish well. That like I said, it's a repeated. <laughs> Repeated event over and over again, um, and you see, and and you have to remind yourself, oh, these none of these people are Jesus. Yeah, they're just people like us. Right, they're placeholders. Yes, and uh, and they have great moments of great inspiration, and and we need to remember that today, that the people that we're surrounded with, they're just people, and and while you have people who uh, who do accomplish some great things, they're they're still at the end, end of the day. Yeah, yeah. so cool. Yeah, Good yeah. Stuff. Old Testament. Yeah, Old Testament. I see the floor. Dun, 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 dun. Well, I'm going to the New Testament because cool. um, that uh, we're just uh, speaking of Jesus. <laughs> I tell you, he uh, he does okay. You know, Jesus. He, he, does, he does an know, adequate job. That's probably, <laughs> I think, one of the most redeeming things about the New Testament. And when you're reading it, is you've gone if you when you're reading in sequence <laughs> and you read the Old Testament, you're like going, oh my. Can nobody do this right? Can nobody get this right? It's failure after failure after failure after failure. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and wow, 
he does it right and and always does it right. I mean, it's like every single story. There's not a story, not a moment in where Jesus goes, oh, bummer. Mm -hmm. Wish I did that differently. (laughs) I didn't mean to do that or I didn't mean it's like everything in perfect sync and harmony with the father he gets so much opportunity to make make a mistake yeah and and even and even the apostles is a recording and saying and we didn't even tell you (laughs) even a port we're just right down all as all that we could if there's not enough pages books in the world to hold all the things he did it's it's inconceivable to think of walking with him and all the different things that are happening each and every day and every moment of every day of somebody doing it right every single time. Always the right response, always says the right thing, always upholds integrity, always maintains character, never, you know, even when he's angry, it's righteous anger. Even when he's sad, it's righteous sadness. You, you know, in, in melancholy, righteous melancholy. You know, everything is exactly as it's supposed to be. That's uh, that's what's so crazy about when you read through the text is is how he is just, he is so worthy mm-hmm. of that, of the attention that we give him. And we, we should give him a lot of attention, Rightly, yeah. obviously. But in John chapter 8, It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? (laughs) Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I just, it's like this is such a, a powerful moment where he he's one to look at Jesus and say, what are you, what are you saying to us? Uh, we are obviously uh, free people. We're children of Abraham. <laughs> it is this is this is if we are to if I could encapsulate one thing that we go out into the world and and we see not only amongst people in the world who are lost but amongst religious people um this is probably this is this is the response of man over and over and over again do you not know who I am do you not see my situation do you not see that I have overcome this that mm. I am a looking when people look at themselves and believe this illusion that we are free and independent and we have succeeded, we have made something of ourselves, we have accomplished something. I, I, all the unrest in our world today, you can see in people's eyes and character and demeanor. It's like it's, it's they just want to say, "Do you know who I am? Mm. I am somebody. I am important. I am. I've done these things." And so when Jesus comes on the scene and says, "You're all slaves," and they're like, "What are you talking about? You know, we. I fought for this, and I achieved this, and I made this. I made something of myself." And the world holds that in high regard. We celebrate that. We celebrate people who are self-made individuals. We look at the guys who create Amazon and the guys who think of Google and and the and, and Microsoft and these people and 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 people who have uh, achieved so much politically or whatever and and people who come from really low circumstances and then go to something very high and so forth. You were really poor and this guy, you know, this rags to riches kind of idea. We celebrate all these things. And in Jesus's era, these were these were the Pharisees were like, we're gonna save our nation. 
there our nation's going to you know it's going down the toilet and we're going to we're going to rescue it we're going to be so righteous that God is going to see our righteousness and he's going to send the messiah in order to uh, for us to overcome the roman empire and so this was their philosophy and so Jesus comes on the scene and says you know you're all uh that that if you will follow me if you will believe me believe in me then you will be free and they're and they're offended by this. They're offended by what are you talking about? Mm. This is not. This is. We're not back in Egypt, buddy. This is. You know, we're not back in. Uh, we've we've been. Moses has delivered us. We've been set free. We're we are children of Abraham, and they fancy themselves not succumbing to Roman influence because they've been so religious. Mm. If you think about it like this. It's like when you say we live in a really pagan world, but I am not pagan. I I I go to church and I wear the right clothes and I say the right things and I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. By golly, I have Bible studies and prayers and and I do everything that you're supposed to do. Do not look at me and say that I am a slave to this world. Mm. And then Jesus comes back and says, "All right, here's the deal. If you are a slave to sin, if you have any sin within you whatsoever, then you are in prison. You're a slave to that. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus is saying there, when he says, you know, if a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery. When a man has anger in his heart towards someone, he's committed murder. What he's revealing there is, is that because everybody's, you're supposed to read it and go, well, that's everybody. And that's the point. Mm. He's saying you're all guilty. You've all sinned. No, there's none righteous, not one. Not one of you has done this the way that's supposed to be done. You're all and and the crazy part, he's the only one who has. And he's and he's and he's saying, I I came I came to set you free from this. I'm the only one who can do it. You can't do it yourself. You're trying to do this yourself. You can't do it. Only you have to believe in me. You have to trust in me. And and this is what I wrote. I but I have no right to dwell in my father's house. I am not a son of of the father apart from Christ. Therefore, I do not have, I am not a child of Abraham. Uh, The children of Abraham in Jesus' day weren't really, Jesus even says, you're not really children of Abraham because you don't do what he says. So, uh, and so you're kind of cast out. Obviously, that was the judgment that God put upon him. And, and so there is no, nobody who's worthy to be in that house. So when you think of that, the only reason I have any hope of being in my father's house is Jesus's promise of redemption if I will simply trust him. Uh, and there's such an internal battle in, in, inside of us. I, there's, I always had this picture in my head of sin that would come and get me in. And I, when, I, when you'd have these battles of do I obey God or do I disobey God, it was like there was a leash tied around my neck and, and he would just kind of grab onto it and pull hard. And it would be like, ah, oh, I, you know, like he, like, he, like Satan would allow me to get so far away from him and then he would pull me back. Mm-hmm. And it was like I could never break free of that. Mm-hmm. I, I would always feel bound. And that's what sin does. It creates this, this bondage that where he can consistently say, look, uh, he's, where Satan con- constantly says to us, "Look, you're not going to be. You can't be with Jesus. You can't. You can't walk in His kingdom. You can't go to heaven. You can't enjoy the riches of the fullness of His grace. Because look, you do this over and over and over again, and and you think you're so strong. You think you're so good. Look, I'll just put something more difficult in your way, and you'll fall. You'll fall every time. Uh, it's sin is. I wrote this. Sin is 
a taskmaster that holds tightly to its subject, and it would seem impossible to escape its grip, save that Jesus gives me the power to break free. He empowers repentance. He gives me the ability to turn away from sin and to walk in newness of life. This is what we get when we put our faith in him and put trust in him. And so Jesus literally is saying, I am the truth that when you, and the truth is this, when you believe in me, when you put your trust in me, I will break you free of slavery and you will be free and you, and I declare you free. You know, he, he, he simply proclaims us to be free. And so it doesn't matter what. Satan says. At that point, it's just the truth is, is that you may feel in prison. It's kind of like uh, we used to draw this example in the Holocaust when they would go through and Nazi Germany had been defeated and they would go to the camps and the gates are open. You know, it's like th- even though they're still inside, they are free. Mm. They just don't know they're free until somebody comes up and opens up that cell and says, no, here's the truth. Mm. The, the, uh, the Germany's been defeated. You're, you are you are free. And, and that's really what sharing the good news is, is us just going from camp to camp saying, hey, you might think you're still enslaved, but the truth is we've won the victory. Wow. Um, and then in John chapter 9, he says something kind of along these lines, John, John, John 9, 39. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Um, I do not have any, I do not have sight except that which Jesus gives me. I I am not able to see what God wants me to see, what what is real, what is true, unless Jesus gives me the ability to see it. Uh, our deception is so deep, our corruption is so great that when we look at the things that are happening in the world, when we hear the things that are happening, I am not capable of seeing the truth, of seeing what God has, is really doing is what the world really is unless he gives me eyes to see that. That is it's such a humbling thing. It's if you've ever been deceived, if you've ever been in a place where uh, where you think you know what's happening and only to find out you were foolish and you had no idea what was going on, it's a reminder that's actually every day. That's every day you get up and you look at everything, and it's and we need to constantly remind ourselves as we're looking at the circumstances of the world around us that our discernment of that is completely contingent upon whether Jesus is revealing that to us or not. Now, he will give us sight uh, if we ask him for that, but if we're trying to see on our own, if we're trying to see it through our own eyes, if, especially if we're still in sin or, or refusing to repent or walk in obedience, if we're not walking with him in his spirit, then we absolutely are getting a wrong read on the situation. And uh, and it's um, we think we can know truth. We think we can know what life is apart from God, but it's just an illusion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's completely elusive. And the enemy is constantly leading us into darkness. Uh, whenever I deviate from the path that God has put me on, whenever he says, Troy, I want you to walk this way, and I step off that path, I now have given the enemy a foothold, a, a, a way to deceive me, to mislead me. And so um, I I used to always tell my kids when they would feel a certain way and they would be like, oh, daddy, this is uh, they're crying. Oh, everything's horrible and so forth. And I'd be like, you haven't, you know, you haven't slept. <laughs> You're very tired. <laughs> you need to get sleep. And when you sleep, you wake up 
rested and you'll be completely different tomorrow. But really, even more so than sleep, is when you start thinking the world is caving in around me, everything is awful, I I don't know how I'm going to make it. When we feel that despair, that despondency that creeps into our lives, Jesus is saying, you are seeing things that aren't real. You're, you're listening to voices that aren't mine. It's like you have to get away from that and, and see with the eyes that I give you to see because I, I have come to judge this world and I am putting it in its place. And you, um, and you, so you have to, you have to come to me and instead of going to the world. So anyway, I, I just, there's, awesome. and, yeah, well, there's just so many things that Jesus, you know, and then he goes on John chapter 10 and he's a good shepherd. And then it culminates in John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus from the dead mm. and where it's like all, the ultimate of Jesus revealing, okay, death is the one thing that we just, and we're so, we talked about this Sunday in church, uh, we're just so convinced that death is real. Yet he says he says that we will never die. Mm. If we believe in him, the words of Jesus are that we will never die. And and yet everything in the world says, oh, absolutely, we're going to die, <laughs> you know, and we are moving toward death constantly. You see what's happening? And, we, and so fear comes in. You're constantly afraid, I'm going to die. You know, this is going to kill me. And yet Jesus says, no, you're not going to die. And yet, no, no, I am going to die. Look at that. The coronavirus, mm. uh, storm, lightning, you know, uh, food poisoning. I don't know. Car wreck, yeah. whatever. Everything. There's so many things that are going to kill me. And she's like, no, I'm not going to die. And we have to make a choice. Who do we believe? Do we believe everything? Do we believe everything around us that's saying that we are going to die? Or do we believe uh, Jesus who says we're not if we believe in him and trust in him? Um, and... So he has this moment where his friend is dead. Everybody says he's dead. His sisters are like, not only is he dead, Jesus, he's probably smelling. He's been there for four days. Please do not make us open up the tomb. This will be awful hmm. because everything tells us that's, well, I mean, we, isn't that what you go to a funeral? You just believe the person in the casket is dead. That's, that's how we are trained to think. And that, and that's why this is so important because that's exactly the situation Jesus was in. Everybody is at a graveyard. I mean, go into a cemetery and just pick a grave and just say, that person's dead. That's what they were doing. And he's going, I'm going to show you. He's not. All I have to do is call his name and he'll come right out. That's powerful. Mm. And he says, I am, he said, you're not getting this. I am the resurrection. This, he said, when he said, they said, yeah, we believe our brother will be resurrected at the end times. He goes, you don't get it. It's not about the end times. I am the resurrection. If I declare a person alive, that person is alive. I am life. I, if I say you are alive, you are alive. Life is, is what I declare life to be. I'm, mm. I'm the one who makes life. <laughs> And, uh, and so it's just, this is such a powerful, uh, you know, this is, that's why we tell people, if you don't read any other part of the Bible, read the Gospel of John, because it is, it, it should be something that you walk away from and go, I believe he is, 
he is who he says he is, who he claims to be. So anyway, I know wow. I, I belabored that, but it, that's uh, no, that's incredible. It's a, it's potent. Yes. So anyway, let's we need to take a break. And, that's good. Uh, and uh, we'll deal with a couple questions. Okay. Yeah, we'll do it. All right, final little section here. Here We've we go. We've got some questions on this uh, section, which is understandable. Yeah. It's not not exactly. We were talking before the podcast. This isn't a um, this isn't a widely preached on section of scripture in the Old Testament, at least. Yeah. You know, we hear stuff about Lazarus, but you know, we're talking about some weird moments. So, understandable. If you ever have questions, you're welcome to email us or send us messages. Yes. Signals. Yeah. And um, anyway, let's hit on this one question. Uh, we were talking about um, in the break um, about Solomon. Solomon goes up onto a high place and meets with God there, and God asks him a question. Now, here's something. I'm just kind of just a little personal thing. In my own head, when I grew up reading Bible stories and so forth, mm-hmm. I had two Bible stories that got intermingled. Oh, okay. Could you guess which one those those two are? Dun, 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 dun. Regarding Solomon? Yeah. Regarding this event, as he gets wisdom, what, um, what do you think that would uh, that would get blended with the other another person in the Old Testament? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you're I'm blank. not tracking. Okay. I'm sorry. It would be it was Samuel. Uh, Samuel uh-huh. as a child Here's hearing God's hearing voice. God's voice. Okay. And I would get that blended in my head. So I had this picture in my oh. head always as Samuel as Solomon as a little boy hearing the he voice God's of God. Voice, and then he goes says, to him and yeah. then well he, and Eli says go listen to him uh-huh. and then uh-huh. and so he goes and he hears uh, that uh, God ask him this. What do you so, want? Yeah, what do you want? Yeah. And uh, ask for something. And he asked for wisdom. So I had this little boy mentality, but it's really not a little boy kind of that event. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, so for clarification, <laughs> I don't know if anybody else got those things confused. <laughs> uh, the um, Solomon is worshiping on the high places. And the question is, is that he's going to, he's doing something that's obviously defiant of what God asked. Now, uh, we would be way off, Mark, to say this has never happened before mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. multiple times through um, the nation of Israel and through judges, uh, through the coming out of Egypt into the, the wilderness, uh, through the book of Judges, uh, all the way into Samuel himself, there are multiple times that they are not following the law. In fact, multiple kings do not follow the law. In fact, are oblivious to the law. And that's it's one thing to remember is that a lot of the things that Solomon's doing, probably they never even read what the law said. They were not familiar with it. It was not a thing. They were not doing things as as the Old Testament points out. You know, that's like when you, when you talk about the year of Jubilee, when you talk about the Passover, there were extremely few Passover celebrations. Never a year of Jubilee. That means they never remained faithful to the word for 50, <laughs> 50 straight years. In a row. Yeah, exactly. So, One generation, people. Exactly. And so you, so you have this uh, constant uh, not being in the right place at the right time. And and while God does say this kind of, I'm going to bring in a really uh, more controversial question here. Oh no. And uh, on top of it, because I've been asked this before, and that well, I've, been, I've heard people say this before. And that is that God only hears the prayers of believers. Mm. He does not hear the prayers of lost people. I just want you to stop and think about that statement for a second. You're saying that God, who hears everything, <laughs> does not hear the prayers of 
unbelievers. And then, so they'll qualify, and this is a better qualification, still a little bit short on, they say, well, they're not effective prayers mm. if an unbeliever prays it, meaning he doesn't respond to it. That would be like me saying that if a Muslim cried out to God and asked for help, at, that unless another Christian believer heard that cry and then offered it up interceding for him, then God's not going to rescue the guy. Um, all of which is incorrect. <laughs> that is not that is not revealed to us in the Word. Now I know that might somebody might take issue with that and so forth, and we could deal with it. I would love that. We'll go we'll go we'll go toe to toe on that one. Yeah, sorry, we'll we'll have that round table. But because but here's 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 the idea. There is a way that God asks for it to be done. There is a way that He He says that by doing it this way that we are brought closer to him and to his presence and so forth, that we receive that. It doesn't, it's not that God can't act in this way. It's not that God can't do these things. It's not like God set up this set of rules that he himself, and there are, he is holy and he maintains his holiness and he has a set way of doing things. But the guidelines that he gives us are for our holiness. It's for our, it's for our, uh, for us to, uh, to do righteously so that we can better understand who he is so that we can better understand what he is. And, and so, but there are times when he raises up uh, pagan nations to do his will and speaks to pagan kings, uh, in pagan places, uh, in pagan environments to accomplish what it is that God wants to do. Cause he can do that. Satan himself comes into the court of God and God says, this is what I would have you to do and so forth. So it, this is not without precedent. It is a, it is, uh, it is telling that, uh, that it is, that he does give Solomon this wisdom. And that brings us to Jeff's question, which mm. is, which is probably the more it's, relevant it's one. It's more intense. It, well, it's not a question. It's a, it's a, it's more of a comment and that is, uh, or rhetorically said, it's more a rhetorical question. Why is Solomon so stupid to be so smart? Why, with all this wisdom, does he do the absolute wrong thing mm. over and over and over again? And uh, and that just uh, reminds us that wisdom, is, it, it reminds me there of Balaam of Peor, um, that Balaam knew what God was going to do and knew the word of the Lord, yet he found himself on the wrong side of that war, of that battle. Um, this because we know what God says. Wisdom is being able to take knowledge and know how to apply knowledge. It's that, it's that practical understanding to be able to discern this is how knowledge should be applied. That doesn't equate to discipline and actually doing that which you know to do. Mm. Uh, I think we've all been familiar with ourselves and many people who we're very wise in, in understanding this is what this is the best way to apply this knowledge and understanding that having that understanding without any ability to carry it out mm-hmm. um, or without any desire to carry it out um, and that ultimately results in our downfall. So God used him as a means to communicate amazing truth to us, but uh, it, it's also a reminder that the people who wrote the Bible, um, the writers of Scripture. When we talk about divine inspiration, that God worked through flawed instruments, that just because they were writing words that were holy and absolute 
and inerrant and infallible, just because they were writing those things doesn't mean the people writing them were inerrant, infallible, or even holy. Uh, it just means that God used them as instruments uh, to accomplish his purpose and his plan. And that's what he did with Solomon. He used Solomon to accomplish his purpose and his plan, but Solomon was still held accountable to make those, to employ those decisions, as we are. That means, and that should remind all of us, just because you know what the Bible says and understand what it says and you get it and you've got it all down pat, Jesus made it very clear, unless you obey, unless mm-hmm. you actually do it, um, then it, it's just, you're just, it's empty words. Yeah. Yeah. Like so. you said, and was it this last Sunday, Sunday before, and he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's cool. Faith without works is dead. Did. Yeah. So anyway. That's good. Good discussion. Good topics. Yeah, it's good. good. Topics. That's it. That's all I have. That's all I got. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.